Hey guys, and welcome back to the Elevate HD podcast. I am your host, Holly Davidge, and this is episode five. And today we are joined by the lovely Lauren Conlon. Lauren's actually my first female guest, which I'm very excited about. (laughs) So in case you don't know who she is, she is an IFBB bikini pro. She is the owner of Team Loco Fit, which is a very successful team um, who prep competitors and do lifestyle coaching as well, transformations. She also has a master's in exercise science. And she recently spoke at the Physique Education Collective seminar with a lot of other well-known guests um, and speakers on strategies for dieting for like weight loss and successful weight loss and maintenance. Um, So I thought it'd be really good to get her onto the podcast. I've also been listening to Lauren for years. I remember back in, I don't know what it was, 2017, 2018, I'd be listening to Redefine Healthy Radio when I was in the lab in Cambridge, like doing my pipetting on my own, it just kept me company. So I thought it'd be great to get you on. So Lauren, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you so much. That was a great introduction and I really appreciate it. And yes, I have been, it is honestly crazy how long I've been doing podcasts and you think I would have nailed my intros and outros by now, but I haven't. So <laughs> you can, if anybody listens to our podcast, they're probably so like, dude, is this girl like new? <laughs> it's just me. Um, but yes, thank you so much. And yeah, we had, a, it was a really great talk at the Physique Education Collective. I've actually been a part of it since, almost since the first one I was, I was at the second one and, and been at most of them since. And it's just a really great seminar. Obviously I love in-person stuff. I am a huge extrovert and I, I just think that there's something about in-person learning that's so unique. Uh, and obviously the connections that you form and all of that, but the PC is so great because we bring such a wide variety of speakers and topics. You know, we have some like super, super niche topics, some very general broad, we have Q and A, like, it's just like a really cool mix. Uh, and it's been awesome to see that grow. So yes, thank you again for having me on. And I'm excited to dive into all this. No problem. And it's, it's funny as well, because you're a part of the Physique Education Collective and I'm part of the Physique Collective. So we're a PC. So we're, we basically have a similar concept. We're based in the UK. So it's like a collective of people where everyone's kind of, has their own expertise and knowledge mm-hmm. where we have formed this like umbrella of information and kind of like a hub for all things physique development. So it's kind of a similar concept. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So I thought we would talk about dieting, but specifically for females, because we haven't really delved into kind of female specific things on the podcast yet. Um, so in terms of setting up a female for fat loss, whether it's a prep client or whether it's just a a lifestyle or a transformation what kind of things do you consider and is there any differences between the two when you're setting someone up initially Mm -hmm. so as far as differences go typically speaking not always but in a general sense most men have more muscle than women and obviously just more body size so they're typically going to be able to tolerate more calories than a female client Um, and that's just a pretty obvious consideration So I would say that that's number one, Uh, you know, a lot of times people will look at either very, very muscular females or maybe really young clients with like crazy metabolisms or men and see how much they're eating. And it's like, well, that might not necessarily be appropriate for you. Uh, And the most important consideration here, as far as starting is what was somebody's dieting history? And most women who are coming to us um, outside of a handful, unfortunately, have a very long dieting history. And when you take somebody who has all these metabolic adaptations from dieting for off and on for years and years and years, you couple that with somebody who has an average or low to average muscle mass, we probably are going to need to do some work beforehand. You know, rarely does a client come to me and like, they're in a perfect spot to start dieting. Some do, you know, I do have some clients who are in that situation. Um, But a lot of times we're either working on habits first, not even necessarily maybe changing calories, but consistency, habit building, getting all that down, or somebody already has those habits in place and and those behaviors, we probably need to work up their calories before we even start a diet. Um, Most likely because just in general, when people are not, I don't even want to say tracking their food because when people like, whether it's tracking macros or, you know, portions or meals or whatever it might be, if somebody's not doing that, typically their intake is going to fluctuate a lot on a day-to-day basis. And so on a week-to-week basis, they're just going to be pretty inconsistent. So first we want to get that down. Um, We might need to bring calories up. We're probably going to need to change some other things as well. But I would say that that really needs to be a big consideration before we diet is to make sure that, you know, calories are in a good place. 
we have consistency, we have the behaviors in place, um, because when you start a deficit, there's a lot that's going to be going on there. Uh, and a lot of people are just kind of hit with that stark reality of, oh, now I'm hungry and I don't have any behaviors that are put in place for me to be successful. So we want to lay that first outside of a deficit. Uh, and that doesn't mean that we need to push. I think when people hear that, they think, oh, okay, I need to be eating a ton of calories for a ton of time. It's like, no, you might not do, especially if you really do need to lose weight um, from a health perspective, right? I'm not, I'm not one of those people that's like, you know, really push. Diet. <laughs> no, not, not what's not at all. And um, there is a time and a place for, Hey, we need to make some changes now. Um, but that also doesn't mean that we need to go and start somebody who has zero behavioral, um, you know, things locked into like a really harsh deficit. That's not going to work either. So we need to just take the client's situation into context. Um, obviously for the physique competitor, they most likely have that down pat or, or I shouldn't say that they should have that down before they engage in a contest prep. Um, but so, you know, a lot of times with a physique competitor, you might be dealing with somebody who is more advanced um, than say a lifestyle client, but also physique competitors are notorious for not doing anything in the off season and then just wanting to diet. So mm -hmm. there's also that to weigh out. Even if somebody is experienced, they may not have dialed things in the off season. They just think that their prep's going to fix it. Yeah, that's why I try and avoid the term off season to clients because it does kind of imply that there's some sort of like taking your foot off the gas. And obviously you do have a little bit more flexibility and leeway when you're not dieting, but you still need to make the improvements. And that's when you have the calories, the energy to fuel your training and, and to gain the muscle mass you need. So it's kind of a bit of a tricky kind of connotation. It's very tricky. And the time when you're not in a deficit is the time to lay all of those behaviors, right? Um, it's just, it's just much more challenging when we throw on a diet and the diet adaptations, which are inevitable. I don't like, you can't avoid those types of things and you can make them easier, but they're always going to be there. So why are we going to make something that's already hard, harder on ourselves? Why not take two months to lay down this foundation and then actually get into a successful phase? And that's really where I think that the, the industry needs to shift is like, we really focus so much on like the calorie deficit and the specifics and all of that. Um, but we're just completely ignoring before and after. And so the weight maintenance is, is not there. Um, there's really no long-term strategies. And that's where then we get the whole other end of the spectrum that people are pulling out, you know, a paper or two that says, oh, diets don't work. And that's always hilarious to me because it's like, that's not true at all. People are regaining weight because they're not taking the appropriate steps before, during, and after a diet, not because the diet didn't work. So I think that we just really need to reframe kind of how we're looking at things in the industry to say, we need to look at before and after so we can create these successful, um, you know, body comp changes. Now, again, caveat, if somebody's a physique competitor, we're clearly not maintaining their weight after a diet, that would not be appropriate. Um, so that's where there's like a stark difference there between lifestyle and, and physique uh, competitors. But in general, I would say that most people, if you are a lifestyle client who is not at a, you know, sub unhealthy body fat level, the goal of your you know, presumably the goal of your diet is to maintain that loss and to maintain a healthier body composition and a good relationship with food. So we really need to prioritize before and after in order to do that. Yeah. And I think as well, when you're setting up a client for a diet, it can be very, like, it's very easy to just throw the kitchen sink at it and give them a step goal and a cardio goal and a nutrition goal and macros and sleep targets and stress management and all this stuff that is completely novel to them. But mm -hmm. Ideally, you should really have all of those things in place before you create the deficit through expenditure and food intake so that everything else is constant just to minimize the amount of variables you change at a time. So you're not just so overwhelmed day one of a diet and everything changes. Instead, you're just doing a bit more and eating a little bit less and everything else, your sleep is down, your stress management is down, everything else is on point and it makes it much more manageable that way so much more. And I get a lot of pushback from people because they're like, this is boring. Or, you know, if I talk to other coaches about this, they're kind of like, yeah, 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 that's, I got it. That's easy. And I'm like, but are you doing this with your clients? <laughs> because this is actually what is most important. And you can have, like you said, all of these great tools and you know how to optimize and give the perfect program, but the perfect program means nothing without context. And if the context is that this person doesn't have all these other things laid out and they're hitting that successfully, what are we actually doing? You know, so 
to your point, yes, we need to make sure all of that is done first. And it doesn't take a long time, but it is not just like, hey, let's throw the kitchen sink at them and like hope for the best because people are pretty excited and motivated when they first start, but that will wane pretty quickly. And that's why we can't rely on that. We have to actually rely on habits and structure and, and all of that. Yeah, and that's what I was going to ask you, because obviously when a client first comes to you, they want to lose weight, they're excited, they're motivated. How do you sell that initial phase to them? Because although you're trying to set them up for success to them, they're like, I don't want to do this maintenance phase. It's really boring. I just want to get the fat off. So how do you kind of convince them that it's going to be in their best interest? Well, first I, you know, on our intake form, we are going to ask, you know, kind of any history, et cetera. So, you know, sometimes people will, will tell us, um, and if they have, and I'll ask, you know, when I'm talking to them, Hey, you know, what have you done in the past? Why has this not been successful? Right. And that generally reveals the answer, right? So like if, you know, Hey, I've done this and this is what happened. Okay. Well, if we did this again, we're probably going to get that response. So instead let's try a different approach. And what you've done the past one to 10 times hasn't worked. Why don't we try something different? Um, but it is about setting short-term goals as well, because if you're just like, Hey, we're going to, you know, in a year or two, like you're going to be where you're people are like, fuck that. I'm not waiting a year or two. Like I can go buy X, Y, Z BS plan and get abs in eight weeks. Right. And you're like, well, probably not, but have at it. Right. So instead you do have to set those short-term goals and say, Hey, here's the big picture of what I'm thinking. But in the short term, this is what we're going to focus on. And that plan can change. And also prefacing that, Hey, you know, this plan could change based on how you're responding. But as long as you give people something to work towards that they know, okay, like this is what we're going to be doing in the short term. That is really useful. And for there's plenty of clients who we will lose because of that. There's no doubt about it. Um, but ultimately, I know as a business owner that we're doing the right thing. And a lot of times that person might initially back away, but they might come back and be like, wow, I really did need to hear that. I just wasn't maybe ready at that time. So I would say not compromising that those like morals and those values as far as like what is appropriate for a diet or not. Of course, as a coach, you have to make concessions and meet somewhere, maybe not where you think again is optimal. You have to probably meet them somewhere in the middle and maybe even more kind of on their side. Um, so if, if you're saying, hey, we probably need a year or two, you know, it might be again, different timeline than you would ideally like, but you still do have to take the client's long-term health uh, into consideration. Yeah. And that's the kind of hard, easy sell. <laughs> yeah. When you're, when you're trying to be moral and you're trying to do the right thing and have the, the client's mental and physical health at the forefront, it's almost that the client has to make the mistakes first with the easy fixes and the, you know, eight week fat loss challenges and learn that that's not necessarily the route to long-term success before they come mm -hmm. to you. So it's kind of a long road to get there. <laughs> I, yeah, it's, it's honestly, it's, it's, it is frustrating, right? Because then when a client has come to you in that situation, right? Again, 10 times they've done a, and there's nothing wrong with challenges. I'm not, I'm not against challenges because I think that there are some that are, that are really great. Um, but just as an example, you know, they've done 10 different challenges or they've yo-yo dieted for five years okay, well, we got a lot of work to do now, right? Where instead I'm like, oh, if we could just, again, shift this kind of perspective to like, if we could do this in the beginning, <laughs> then we wouldn't have as many of these issues that are going to take. So this is why it takes so long to correct because things compound and they build over time. You can't expect that all of your dieting history and all of your past behaviors are going to get erased in three months. They're, yeah. just, they're just not, I mean, I, that would be great. <laughs> um, and some people respond very quickly. But I would say the majority of people, as with everything on like a bell curve, the average response is going to be not as quick as you'd like. And then there's going to be some people who get the really short end of the metabolic stick and it takes them exorbitant amounts of time to see any progress. And that's a hard pill to swallow. And I have clients like that. And it is, it is fucking tough because as a coach, you are, you, you want to do more, right? You want to see the results for them, you know? Um, and you know, it's really hard on them to be like, Hey, I feel like I'm putting in so much effort to just get a little bit. And it's like, well, that's just the way that the cards were dealt for you. Like everything is optimized at this point. Um, and some people are going to have a harder time in certain areas than others. And yours happens to be this area, which is unfortunate because you actually care about this area. <laughs> um, but you know, that's just, again, being realistic with and honest with clients back to that first question, how you said, how do you present this? I just try to be really honest. Like you tried this, this many times, it has not worked. This is why we would try this. And not just because it's my way or the right way, but here's the reasons why this would actually work.
Yeah. And it's frustrating as well, because like, especially if some clients come to you with some sort of metabolic adaptation from previous dieting history, you do need to explain to them that you might need to get really, really low with your calories to start seeing results unless you do take the time off to kind of heal and repair yourself. Because like, I think what I see on Instagram all the time is people saying like, oh, you know, I a coach gave their client 1200 calories. That's dangerous. And, you know, that's malpractice and stuff but like the real fact of it is is that some people need to diet that low because they could be yes below five feet they could be a very small female they could experience some sort of metabolic adaptation they might have pcos where they might have a 20 percent decrease in metabolic function so there's all these different factors that could mean that yeah they might have to diet on 1200 or less so it's it's difficult it's like this virtue signaling that's going on so a client might be on 1200 and say oh well but Apparently, I'm not meant to be on that, but that's just the way the cards are dealt for them. I was having this conversation with one of my coaches the other day, and, and we were just reflecting on, you know, some things. And and it's she's like, you know, it's so frustrating how, you know, some people will like when they say things like this, she's like, this is why it was like hard for me to even want to get into the industry. Like there's so much like gatekeeping, you know, right around like this is so right. This is so wrong. Like you're an idiot if you do this. Um, and to be fair, when you first start, you're kind of like you're really staunch in your position, you know, like you think like you fucking know what you're talking about. Right. And I used to be one of those. Not not that strong, but like, oh, my gosh. 1200 calories, like you must not know what you're doing as a coach if you're doing that. And then I started working with people. Yeah. And I realized, <laughs> wow, this is not just theory. Theory is great. But when you work with human bodies and you see how different metabolisms um, and different histories interact, there are plenty of women who need to diet on that. And there's actually plenty of women who are never going to be able to eat over 2000 calories. I hate to break it to everybody. Um, and this is not diet culture saying this. This is not, um, you know, not using the right protocols, whatever. There are just some people who, whose bodies do not tolerate as much food as others. Just like there are some clients who can literally eat 400 grams of carbs and maintain a fairly lean physique. It's also not normal, right? So we're not saying that this is normal, but to say that this is never appropriate. Now, is that appropriate to start the diet? Probably not. Um, but there are just a lot of people who are really going to struggle. Um, and particularly, like you said, smaller women, and it's not even smaller women. I have, I have some smaller women who have crazy metabolisms um, and the way that they process food. And I have some larger clients who just simply do not, right? So it's it, sometimes it's a body size thing. Sometimes it's a muscle mass. Sometimes it's a dieting history. Sometimes it's just straight up genetics. And, you know, we have to be able to work within those constraints. So yeah, as a coach, once you work with enough people, you realize, oh, this theory is great. Um, and we're not seeking that for the sake of seeking it, but we're also not avoiding it if that's really what the client needs. Yeah. But also like from not just a genetic or metabolic perspective, but some people just accidentally underreport. So well, that too. Yeah. by putting them on 1200, they might actually be on 14, 1500, but you're mm -hmm. just creating that buffer where mm -hmm. they're actually still in the deficit. Yes. So that's kind of tricky. Like sometimes I have clients where I put them on low enough calories, they're still not dropping weight. And I'm like, okay, let's just try a fixed meal plan for a week and see what happens. Just follow it to a T. We'll see what happens. Same amount of calories, but they drop weight. And you're like, okay, mm -hmm. there's something going on here that we something. need to troubleshoot, you know? Yeah. Yes. And there, there's always, you know, there's always going to be human error. There's always going to be different things. Uh, and I think that, you know, a lot of people, you know, either put too much emphasis on the number or not enough. Right. So they're like, oh, it doesn't matter at all, which is, which is not really accurate. And then some people are like, never hit these targets, this and that. It's like, that's so much fixation on that number, because to your point, you know, you could be tracking wrong um, or there could just be any kind of ina like inaccuracies over, over the period of time. And yeah, there's just, as always, there's just not enough nuance there. And it's, it's hard because it, both clients and coaches alike want to, you know, fixate on certain things, you know, they want to like plant that flag and they want to know something concrete. And that's really where being a coach who has this mindset, it's, it's, it can be a struggle, right? Because people want like this, they want it concrete, they want exact. And you're like, well, <clears throat> depends on these three factors. And we need to try this for two weeks and then, and then report. And Hey, if you want to add this, we got to wait three months and then get some blood work. And we got like, like things just take time. Yeah. So that is just one of those things that, you know, is it, we're up against a challenge. Uh, but ultimately, I don't care how big of a challenge it is. It needs to be addressed in our industry. Uh, so that's what we're trying to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So then once the client is set up for the fat loss phase and we're kind of happy with, with where they are in terms of where they're at food wise, training wise, fatigue management, stress, all that kind of stuff. Is there like a certain 
rate of loss that you would aim for or does that depend on the goal or you know what they're aiming for is it a holiday is it a shoot is it a show does that kind of change the timelines for you for sure now I would say the only time I we really are concerned about a very specific rate of loss is going to be if a client has a show that is picked out right so this might be you know, there are certain clients who only have access, like international clients only have a few shows a year that they can do. So we're kind of a little bit more limited um, as far as when they're going to be able to compete. Uh, if a client is aiming for a national show in, in the U.S., that's where people earn their pro cards. They're aiming for a national show. Those are pretty set dates. Um, or if somebody just says, hey, this is the show that I've committed to and I'm, I'm going to do it. That's when we really need to say, all right, how much roughly do we think that we need to lose? Let's add a little bit. And then we'll, we'll kind of keep pushing for that. Um, but outside of that, even if it is a prep client, I don't really get, again, hung up on these numbers of rate of loss because there's going to be such a vast rate of loss differences like week to week that I really like to, I like to refer to not just weight, but also measurements and especially for the physique competitor, the photos uh, and for lifestyle clients as well, because there's so many people I'm thinking of a client right now. She's had an amazing transformation physically, mentally, all of that. Uh, we worked together before she dieted, she's been dieting and, and she's, she's made substantial losses, but really nothing like crazy. Right. But she looks completely different. Her body comp is different. Her clothes are fitting differently, buying new sizes. Um, everybody's like, Oh my gosh, you look amazing. Like you X, Y, Z. She's like, yeah, I've only lost X amount. They're like, what? And so it just goes to show how powerful that is. And that's really where, um, not just looking at the rate of loss. So if I were just to look at the rate of loss and never see those other factors, I would say, oh my gosh, well, we haven't, we've had an okay dieting phase, but in reality, we've had a bang in dieting phase. It's just looked different based on the numbers. Um, again, that's a lifestyle client. So for a physique client, it is going to be a little bit different. You know, there are <clears throat> hard and fast rules. You probably need to be this lean, <laughs> right? Like there's, there's not really a lot of room for error um, there because it is a very specific goal with a specific endpoint. So I would say that, yes, while I never really know what someone's stage weight is going to be like, unless I've worked with them before, uh, we generally have a kind of a good goal. And then we will work towards that. And I really don't like to set a timeline per se, unless for those examples that I mentioned in the beginning, um, I would rather just say, okay, like let's start. And then as we see how the first few months go, then we can dial things in because somebody might be responding great or shit might be totally sideways in their life, how they're responding to this diet, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so it's, it can be a little bit more challenging then. Yeah. And like, as you were saying, like I'm from Ireland and we have one IFBB show a year in April. So if you miss that, then you're screwed. <laughs> so, yeah. um, but in the UK, we have loads throughout the year. Um, mm -hmm. So there's plenty of choice there. So yeah, and in America, I think you pretty much have them every weekend. So <laughs> yeah, especially I live in Florida. So there is legitimate, I think there's, I mean, I don't even know the number now, but I, I it's over a show a weekend. Like there's multiple, yeah. there'll be multiple weekends where there's shows in different places. Uh, and that's obviously just because it's, it's, it's a very large, you know, NPC Florida is very large. Um, but yes, we have a lot of access. So yeah. it's going to be different in that situation versus, you know, I had a client turn pro this year in Japan and there's only a few shows. So, mm -hmm. Hey, we picked this one and this is the one that you can turn pro at. All right. We got to do that one. <laughs> you know, yeah. so it's, it's going to be more specific um for for certain clients yeah sometimes obviously it's necessary to have a strict timeline but for others like if you gave a client a rate of loss goal and they didn't achieve that then they might feel like they've disappointed you or that they failed that week when you could think exactly. your visuals look better but they haven't reached that rate of loss so then they feel like it's been a dud week 100%. That is why I do not like to specify those targets. Um, again, we touched on this a little bit before that, you know, what are the differences between men and women? And this is not a hard and fast rule. But again, a lot of times women can become very, very neurotic about their, you know, bodies and their progress and all these like, you know, just all of that. And so much of that is tied into this expectation. So I don't need to take a client who's maybe already a little bit on the neurotic side and make them even more so, right? Why would I want to do that? You know, I want to eliminate those, you know, variables uh, and those hurdles for them to make it actually easier and a more enjoyable process. Because if we're taking away the mental strain from the diet and, you know, like just making that part easier, everything else in their life is going to, they're going to be able to free up that energy to be in other areas of their life. 
So one of the most rewarding things is when people are dieting, they're like, wow, like this, you know, because we laid the right foundations, we did all this stuff beforehand, this dieting phase is actually easy. And like all this energy that I would have spent worrying about my food and my body and this and that, like I have a much better perspective. I'm much more detached now. <clears throat> and I'm able to actually use this energy because we only have a finite amount of like mental and physical resources. I can use these resources and this energy in other areas of my life, my relationships, my career, my personal development goals. Like that's what we want this to be, right? So I think that, yeah, adding another layer of something that is potentially going to bring somebody down <clears throat> is just, I, I don't want to do that in any capacity. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's mad as well, because like I've been in the industry for a good few years now and I still in gaining phases find the scale difficult and I still have that emotional attachment to it. And that's why, like, even though I'm a coach myself, I couldn't imagine not having my own coach because I just need someone to keep my head screwed on. Even though I know it myself, I'd say it to my clients. I can be completely objective with them. But myself, it's a different story. And I just can't I just need someone to tell me. <laughs> it is much harder to be objective with ourselves. And, and this is something where, you know, I just had a client come back who, you know, worked with me for a while and was like, you know, I, I'm you know, ready to go on my own. I was like, okay, if you ever need me again, you know, you know where to reach me. She was like, man, she's like, as soon as I answered the Zoom call, she's like, I feel like just so relieved right now. Like, I'm just so happy to see you. And she's like, I, you know, I know what to do, but like having this accountability and just being able to check in uh, is so, so crucial. And just have that person who is detached from you in your life. And, you know, I'm sure you get this too. Like the, our clients develop a very close relationship with us. That's one of the perks of having a small team is I really get to know my clients. And they're telling me not just about their nutrition and training, they're telling me about everything else in their life. And that all affects that as well. Right. So it's also somebody who's able to be objective in those areas and say, Hey, okay, like let's, you know, I can listen, I can maybe reflect and, and give some kind of pointers here and how that's going to work into, you know, your protocols that we're going to be setting up. And that is really where like the magic of the coaching is, right. It's not necessarily like for some, it is the knowledge for some people. It is like, I need to gain this knowledge and learn what to do. But after that, like that kind of next phase of phase of coaching really is that accountability and being able to offset some of that energy and resources to someone else so that you can thrive in other areas of your life. Yeah. Also, what I find with my clients is the relatability, because I still have a full time job where I work a, a busy job, but I also travel for my work, like sometimes once, twice a week um, yeah. and I prepped during it. So if they see oh I'm going away I won't be able to stay on track and I'm like look I've been there done that I can give you practical advice but I also know that I can't take any excuses because I've done that before <laughs> so mm -hmm. oh that way <laughs> yes the relatability is huge and, and yeah prep uh prepping and traveling is a whole thing and I I always prepped and traveled and now that I don't I don't prep anymore but I still travel a lot and um you know it has been really nice to have some of those like learn some of the, the great ways to travel and some of the not great ways to travel. And because yeah, a lot of clients are going to be in that situation. Uh, and, you know, even if it's not like a big travel situation, they're just outside of the home for, you know, however long, like you need different strategies. Like it's very different than just kind of sitting around and, um, you know, having ample time to kind of do whatever you want. Like it's just, that's just not reality for 99% of people. I find traveling like almost easier than being at home because you just don't have as much time to think about being hungry. You're just always on the go. <laughs> and you don't really have uh, options either. I actually like, especially when dieting, I find that dieting and eating out is so easy and people are like, how there's not a choice. I don't have a choice that when I'm not dieting, I can say, Hmm, you know, what do I want to weigh out? To, do I want to have this? Do I want to have some bread? Do I not? Do I want to maybe get a dessert when I'm dieting? It's all off the table because yeah. I can think about that all I want, but why am I going to waste my mental energy on this bread basket when I know that that is not going to be suitable for my goals? Not that I don't eat bread when I'm prepping and not that I don't eat carbs, but you know what I mean? Like there's yeah. just going to be certain things that are not necessarily worth it. And that's going to be one of them. Like I'm not really going to be able to be accurate with this. Um, so when I go out, choices are pretty straightforward and that completely eliminates a lot of that, you know, Hey, if I'm going for breakfast, I'm getting eggs and toast and some fruit, which is what I would make at home, but I'm going to now order it out <laughs> when I go eat any other meal. Okay. It's going to be some kind of carb that's single ingredient. It's going to be a lean protein. It's going to be some veggies. Uh, and I'm going to, you know, depending on what my fats are at, I can maybe add fats or not. So it really kind of eliminates a lot of that extra. So I find it to be, you know, easy. You just have to be willing to make those decisions. And that's what I always try to tell people. 
Um, you know, a lot of clients, whether they're dieting or not, they're eating out and all this stuff. And it's like, you are always in control of what you're choosing to eat or not eat. And nobody is forcing you either way. And you might feel like everyone's looking at you or questioning your choices. And maybe they are for half a second, but after that half second, and after that comment, they are no longer thinking about that. And they really do not care. Nobody cared that you ordered whatever. They maybe made a comment, oh, you're eating healthier, you do it. And then they didn't go home thinking about that for the rest of the night. <laughs> they left and they moved on with your day. And you were worried about that. Oh my gosh. And everybody judging me at work next time. I'll make sure to get the whatever with them. Mm-hmm. But why? That's mm-hmm. not suitable to your goals right now. So being able to feel confident and these are my choices and this is what I want to make makes eating out and traveling a hundred times easier. Yeah. And I always kind of remind myself and my clients that like no matter what environment you're in, you control what goes into your mouth and what you eat no matter where you are whether you're at home or away what goes in your mouth is completely up to you so you can completely control your choices and your selection and like make those tweaks and adjustments obviously sometimes it does take a bit of skill and that's where a coach comes in to kind of guide you and give you some framework or some some guidelines to to show you the way but once you've established that and you've practiced it a few times it does become kind of second nature hundred percent. And yeah, there's no, that it's not even like a, Oh, there's no excuse, but it's like, we don't have to fall off plan every time this happens, you know, like that's again, speaking to the, like, it's, you know, not just a diet phase. People think of a diet phase as something that is contained in this vacuum. And that's just also not the reality. Oh, when I have these eight weeks, I'm going to clear my schedule and I'm going to, something's going to come up. I bet you something is going to come up in those eight weeks. And if you're not ready to meet that challenge, how do you expect for the rest of your life to have any kind of maintenance or any kind of just sense of normalcy around food? If you're always saying, I'm either clearing my schedule and nothing's going to get in my way and I'm going to eat out of my Tupperware or shit's going to hit the fan and I'm doing whatever I want. Like we need to have a happy medium here. And even if it's not a hundred percent, if we're still 85% on track, like all the time, you're doing really good. Yeah, it's the consistency that's important, really. Yes. So, so <laughs> when when you say like when you're out and about and you're tra- and you're like eating out and traveling and the choice is taken away, that's why I feel there is a certain argument for establishing a meal plan kind of structure, especially in a prep situation. Now, when I started getting into nutrition, I was like, no meal plans. You know, I'm all about flexible dieting, choice all the time. Um, and I look, always look down on coaches that would give meal plans, but then I found that they actually do have utility in the right places. Um, so I don't know whether you have a certain like approach that you would give, like, do you always do macros or do you do meal plans or do you do a mix? Yeah. So I was the same way, right. Again, when, when I started, uh, I started, for, I was sort of personal training back in 2010, but formally coaching in 2013. And that was kind of when I started tracking macros and learning all about that. And that was like science and that was cool. And if you did anything else, you know, it was, it was wrong. And that's actually, you know, why I did my research project that I did, which looked at those types of dieting. Uh, and it was, it's been interesting to see how that's shifted over time, you know, almost 10 years later, how my view has shifted. And it's not necessarily about the meal plan being right or wrong. Um, it's how it's being used and utilized, right. And how it's being, you know, a lot of the issues we were seeing in the industry back then. And I mean, even still now, but I think to a lesser degree with the, so to speak, meal plans were that people were getting a five food meal plan being told by their coach they can't deviate. And if you do, you're a failure and just shut up and listen to the plan. That's really where all these issues are coming from, right? First, there's obviously some neutral nutrient deficiency, you know, considerations there with having such a limited food list. But really, I think it was the psychological ramifications of like, don't ask questions do this or you're off plan. And the more that I've learned about dietary restraint and understanding flexible and rigid restraint, that's really where those issues were. Uh, so I think, and then of course, you know, a lot of times those meal plans where you you were going from off season of eating however much food to then going to this 900 calorie meal plan with like three noodles and tilapia. And you're like, well, um, okay. <laughs> so there was a layers of issues there, but I do think that meal plans have a, have a place for sure. Um, I do not write meal plans just based on, um, you know, just kind of the circumstances of where we live and all of that. Uh, it would not, I would not feel comfortable doing that out of my scope technically, but I will say we'll either do, we either 
obviously have macro targets for clients. We, some, we now do something where we just habit track with people, which so some people who are not even ready to kind of dive into all that, they do habit tracking. Um, but then for other clients, I'll be like, hey, you know, if it is something like let's self-create a meal plan, like walk through a day, um, you know, fill out this form, send it back to me, kind of what you're eating, when you're eating, and we can change that. So it's, it is, it can kind of become a meal plan of sorts, um, but it's something that they've created and I will look through, so to speak, instead of just me saying, here's an exact meal plan. And I find that that works for a lot of clients, even just giving some nutrient timing recommendations as far as like, hey, let's just structure this um, or just saying to a client instead of actual targets for the day, here's just meal estimate, like rough targets for you. That sometimes is just enough for people to be like, oh, that took the guesswork out of everything. And that seems intuitive to me right? Because I've been doing this for a very long time. And that's one of those things that as a coach, you have to be able to detach, okay, what is intuitive to me is not intuitive to other people. And my experiences are very different than other clients' experiences. So if they're struggling with this, let me think of ways that maybe I wouldn't need, but maybe they're going to need. And that's one of them um, that has been really useful that we've incorporated. Yeah. Because I remember like at the very beginning, when I just starting out, I would just give people protein, carb, fat targets, off you go and then like they wouldn't know how to do it and I, I would be like what I, I do not know how to track macros but then you realize that you know at one point I had no idea what a macro was so you, we all start somewhere so I have different kind of approaches like sometimes I'll just give them like a sample day of eating kind of hypothetically like yeah. if I were in your yeah. shoes here's how I would do it or yeah. what I do sometimes is I give them like a hybrid um like on a spreadsheet where it's like a day in the life but they can change it with like drop downs and stuff so they can kind of create their own meal plan and kind of change things to their macro goals and that gives them a bit of um education as well be like okay if I have 100 grams of this and then I do this then I can have a bit more of this and kind of playing around with it a bit themselves yeah no it helps a lot to have that just a little bit of additional education and not everybody needs it right I don't like I don't want to stifle a client who doesn't need that so a lot of times i'll just be like let's see what happens you know let's do this and see what happens and then we adjust because things that i could say oh you might need this they don't actually need that but they need something else uh so there's so many different approaches but what you're saying um and you know what i've been saying is basically taking the client looking at them as the individual where are they struggling um and then reverse engineering the solution from that particular struggle and those those struggles and challenges are going to change over time but you know, we need to address them as they come and, and they are going to be very different for every single person. Like there's kind of general things like, all right, I know this person's probably going to struggle here. This person's going to struggle here. Um, but like the exact specific specifications to them and their life is only, they're, they're the only ones who are going to know that they have to relay that to me and then we can make those changes. Yeah. Like you can use previous anecdotes with other clients to guide you in your decision-making, but ultimately it's not, this is what I do you're more looking at the client saying what do they need and how can I give that to them and provide that to them in the easiest way possible yes that's what coaching is right Mm -hmm. all the stuff that we provide on you know social media content our podcast different interviews that I do like this is all the kind of the general framework right um but if a client is working with me, that is what we are working on. The actual specifics, like we're going to use the baseline stuff that kind of works for everybody. So we're going to start. And then as things continue to unfold and I see where the challenges are, what their body needs, what their feedback is, that is where we can create the perfect, perfect plan, right. For them at that period of time. Um, And that's the biggest difference between just sending someone a program versus customized coaching. Yeah. And the, that's what you're paying for. Like, that's what coaching is, you know, like, it's yeah. not, Hey, here's like your first program that I send you, like that could be shit, right? Like that's my best estimation based on what we've discussed, but that might change very quickly. Um, and it might not change at all. I might've nailed it. Right. And I'm not saying that I send out someone's program and it's usually like, like light years off, but yeah. the, the point is a few weeks in, you really start to see where those challenges are and where somebody needs the most help and assistance. Yeah. Cause I like, I don't know if people still do that, but sometimes people sell once off training plans, once off meal plans. And it's really just a shoot in the dark because it, it's you set that as a baseline. And from that week on week, you refine it to suit the person because it's just an educated guess at the beginning. But to really enhance that and to tailor it to the person, you just need time to see how they respond. Yes. Time and their feedback, which is incredibly important because, again, you can't it's that is where this all stems from is what someone is sharing with you. So for the client or anybody listening, who's thinking of hiring a coach um, or is working with a coach and is afraid to talk to them, 
don't be. If your if your coach does not um, take into consideration the things that you were sharing, um, then that's a red flag, number one. Um, but most importantly, a lot of times clients do not want to share things because they're like, oh, I don't want to get um, you know, like I don't want them to get upset at me or I don't want, um, to seem like I'm going off plan. I need to know if you're going off plan, because that means the plan needs to change. doesn't mean that I'm going to scold you. I mean, there obviously is a time to be like, Hey, you know, maybe like we need to get our shit together. Right. Um, but for the most part, there's a reason that the program is failing. Um, there's something that we could do that could make it easier, um, or take away something that is making it harder on you. And the only way that you're going to know that as a coach is if somebody is sharing that information with you. Yeah, because when you have a check-in with a client and you make an adjustment, you're adjusting it based on the idea that they're adhering to the plan. So if they're not adhering to the plan and you make an adjustment, then it's really me like it's pointless. Like you need to know exactly where they're at. You need to know if they go off track Mm -hmm. and you need to build that rapport and that trust so that you know that they're not going to feel judged or feel guilty if they do Mm -hmm. confide in you because you need to know the information. I need to know. And like, listen, if you're fucking off, like you got to tell me, you <laughs> don't tell me that everything's great. And that you, but really you hate the plan. You're not even following it. Like it's, I mean, at some point I'm going to figure it out, but like, okay, this is, you know, these things aren't lining up. Um, but people can surprisingly keep a lot of things to themselves, right? Like even, I mean, we have a pretty detailed check-in, but you can still, you're choosing what you want to share there. So there are still times where all of a sudden you'll be like, oh my gosh, what? Like this client will just all of a sudden unload on you something or many things. And you're like, I had no idea. And as perceptive as I, I try to be, um, ultimately there's only, you can only be so perceptive, you know, like you can notice changes, um, but you can only be so perceptive before you really just are in the dark about something. Yeah. And that's why it's important when you're selecting a coach, not to just pick who looks the best on Instagram, who has the best abs you need to know will I be able to get along with this person do we match on that level would we be a good fit and that's why like people run like consultation calls and stuff initially because you need to see if you can build that relationship because that is yeah. way more important than how the coach looks mm-hmm. and you know their appearance on Instagram yeah and that that might be a great starting point right like for some people they might they don't maybe need like a whole customized intensive program they might just need like some quality information And they just kind of follow some basic stuff. But if you are hiring a coach who is going to give you custom coaching, that's just a totally different ballgame. You know, you have to know as the consumer what you're interested in as well. Mm -hmm. So you have to, um, in that, in the latter sense, like that is much more based on like rapport and communication and what the coach knows and all of that. Um, You might be able to get this other, you know, everything else as a great starting place, but to continue that and really dive deeper and get the most out of a one-on-one coaching experience, those are the attributes you need to look for. Mm -hmm. And then on the same note of kind of communication, I think one of the major um, differences between male and female fat loss is obviously the changes in hormones that females will experience throughout the month and throughout dieting. Um, and the female needs to be very comfortable with communicating that to you because mm-hmm. obviously it can affect scale readings, it can affect visuals, it can affect hunger, digestion. Um, so what kind of things do you look for? What do you ask from the client and mm-hmm. what helps you kind of make those decisions? Yeah, well, first, just in our in our check-in, we just have, you know, where are you in your cycle if you have one? You know, that's just a really helpful thing to see um, because a lot of times people will even even the actual client will be filling it out and they like will have filled out everything else and they're like you know saying all this stuff and then they're like oh I just realized it's like my cycle week no wonder you know like they even were not remembering so if I didn't have that question in there they might not have even shared that or even thought about it when they were sending that check-in and then I'm like what the hell like 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 mood is all over the place hunger is all over the place digestion is a wreck scale is up and you're like what is happening? I can hypothesize that it might be your cycle, but now I just ask, where are you? You know. Um, so for a lot of clients, that just immediately makes things a lot easier on my end to see, okay, um, you know, where are we? And everyone's going to respond a little bit differently. Like some people, you know, obviously before it is worse, some um, during. It, it just is going to depend on the individual client. Um, but just kind of knowing where they're at and asking the right questions, we can see. Um, and that asking those questions too allows them to be reflective. Hey, you know, you know, it is this many days for my cycle. I, you know, I feel like I'm just holding a little bit more water. I feel like, you know, I'm a little more distended digestion slowed. Um, oh, I saw the scales up. That probably makes sense. And that also allows them to reflect and feel a little bit less 
like on edge and like code red all the time. Like, oh my gosh, okay, like what's going on this week? And you're like, well, this is what's going on. So I think a lot of it is just allowing them to be reflective in that sense. Um, and then not to say that you have to blame every single thing on a cycle. Sometimes it's just like, no, this, this week, especially for fat loss, things just weren't moving. You know what I mean? Um, if somebody is kind of in the middle of that, it's like, you know, if, if they're a lifestyle client, I may or may not change something. Obviously if it's a contest prep client and we have a timeline, it, it doesn't matter if we've stalled out, like we probably are going to need to make a drop. Mm-hmm. So it's really just going to depend. Um, and then obviously for, you know, losing a cycle, that's going to be so highly genetic dependent. Um, there are certain clients that are able to maintain a menstrual cycle all the way through a contest prep and they're like 10% body fat. Um, and there's other people who are still lifestyle clients who are not really in a harsh deficit and still have plenty of body fat. Um, but it's far enough from their settling point that they are going to lose it for that period of time. So I think that a lot of this comes down to that genetic settling point and the the naturally leaner people are going to be able to maintain a cycle when they're leaner than others. Uh, And it doesn't mean that you are never going to be able to maintain a cycle at a lower body weight if you're one of the the other people. But I've just seen that it kind of takes time to like inch down, like as we kind of inch down that settling point in a very slow kind of way, like diet, reverse, diet, reverse, we can kind of keep that longer, but it is a whole process. And again, some people genetically are going to be you know, more affected than others. Um, and then of course there could be deeper issues as to why somebody is losing a cycle. But um, one of the biggest reasons, just generally speaking, would be low body fat and low energy availability. I also find that the, <clears throat> like, especially afterwards to so say somebody has lost a cycle with dieting and they, you know, immediately are like, all right, got to get body fat up, got to get energy, a bit, like change this, like, you know, less cardio, more food, like more body fat. Well, what ends up happening a lot of times is especially if the client is engaging in maybe some overeating and they're just very up and down, right? So maybe their intake is lower end of normal a few days a week, and then really, really high other days. And then they're still trying to like, you know, maybe do some cardio to compensate, or maybe they're just really, really stressed out. That is not a body. That's like, give me a cycle. Like, even though you've added body fat, your calories are on average higher. The stress effect I've just found really, really messes with clients in that situation. So Mm -hmm. it's one of those things too, that is, it's not just it's kind of like, it's not just calories in calories out. The same thing goes for regaining the menstrual cycle. It's not just as, as easy as total calories per week and body fat. That is a huge, huge determinant. And that's the, the biggest two determinants, of course. Um, but it's not the only thing. And especially if somebody has a really sensitive system, uh, if they are going through those very kind of chaotic periods, it's going to be really hard to get a cycle back. Yeah. And that's, going through those extremes is not going to be an optimal environment for health and for regaining that cycle. And yes, obviously calories and body fat are a massive part of it, but you need to look at all the other factors of your life that contribute as well. Like your allostatic load or however they call it is like your sleep and your stress and just your, your, your emotions and your, your mental health, your physical health. Like there's so many different factors you need to consider. So just eating a lot of calories and having a higher body fat, isn't the full picture. It's not all the pieces of the puzzle. No. And, you know, again, like you said, it is, it is a huge piece of it. Um, so we're not saying that that's not, you know, like valid, uh, but it is not the only thing. And we just need to be able to look a little bit deeper into those other things. And that's where working on stress perception with the client and having outside of fitness goals and all these different things, and just kind of changing how we view different stressors, uh, is, is really key. And then of course, obviously if somebody is engaging in kind of overeating or overcompensatory behaviors, working on things like that is going to be absolutely essential. And last but not least time. So when we're talking about losing a cycle in particular, um, it's going to take time to get it back. And, you know, if you lost it for a month, probably don't need to expect to get it back. You, you can probably expect to get it back pretty quickly. If you've lost it for several months or several years, it's going to take some time and there might need to be some supplemental and or hormonal, you know, uh, aids as well. And that's totally fine. If the, if the client decides to go through with that, um, there's nothing in my opinion that's, that's wrong about that either. You know, that's not the first line of defense, you know, don't like lose your cycle and be like, Oh, I need to get on HRT. Like probably not. But if you've worked on several things, um, and, and you've done your due diligence there, like that might be something that is needed, um, in order to get that back. Mm-hmm. 
yeah again it just completely depends on the person their situation and how long how patient they are and are they really doing everything they can at the moment before they bring in kind of external aids like that for sure um so then when say like a a lifestyle client comes to the end of their diet Mm -hmm. I think the old historical way was they just kind of drop off face the earth and the coach is like yep done my job see you later and obviously that is a recipe for disaster because, you know, obviously cravings are probably high, hunger is high, food focus is high. And that's probably the worst possible time to leave someone to their own devices. Um, so how would you go about kind of transitioning someone away from that deficit back up to a happy maintenance level? Mm-hmm. So right after a diet, like you mentioned, it is just filled with adaptations. Your body is like, Hey, we want to add body fat, not anything else. (laughs) So your hunger is incredibly high and dysregulated. You know, your satiety is, is very low. Um, and your body is preferentially going to try to restore body fat instead of anything else. So that period immediately, we want to add calories. Now, the biggest difference between lifestyle versus physique is that generally speaking, a lifestyle client is not going to be as lean as a physique client, uh, for obvious reasons. Right. And, that it doesn't need as much of an immediate rebound, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, but we still do want to get calories up and I do want to add flexibility back in. So for most clients, we've worked on adding in an untracked meal or two or days pre-diet. Um, for many lifestyle clients, I actually keep in untracked meals during the process instead of refeeds. I've changed that over time. So for some people, that's already a seamless transition. But if we had pulled those out, we're going to add those back in. Um, and we're going to have certain things where they just have a little bit more flexibility. So it's less just mentally draining and less of a grind um, on top of, of course, being fed more that just the the amount of changes we're going to make in the rate of changes, as far as adding food, it's just going to be slower than a physique athlete, physique athlete, we're getting body fat up. Like now again, not out of control. We're not trying to rebound somebody. um, But we do want to get them back to a place that is more stable because anybody who's ever been contest lean knows that you're not stable in any capacity. (laughs) So we're trying to get things a little bit more stable um, on really all fronts from, you know, physiologically, hormonally, et cetera. And then also I do want to add flexibility for them because think about it at the end of a diet, everybody, whether you're a lifestyle client or prep client, but especially if you're a prep client, everybody is like, I want to go do this with you. I want to go here. And like, you've been talking to your friends and your coworkers and your family and significant other, whatever. Oh, I want to try this new restaurant. Oh, I've been wanting to try this wine. I want to do, everybody wants to do something. So the worst thing you can do is to be like, nope. Then what's going to happen? They're either going to say, fuck you. And they're going to go do it. And they're going to probably go do it tenfold more than they would have. Um, or they're not going to do it. And then they're going to feel like, just like, Oh, fuck, I, I already finished this. Like, what am I still doing this for? And then eventually it'll chip away, chip away. And then they'll likely go off plan. We really want the, the, the most important thing after a diet phase is avoiding overeating episodes because mm-hmm. your body is so sensitive at that point. Um, that I really, really don't want somebody to go into an overeating episode or a binge because, physiologically and psychologically that is so damaging and it has a really big snowball effect and that snowball effect is fucking quick if you have one binge it is so easy to have another and another and then it's four days have gone by and you're like oh shit like what what's happened um and we really want to avoid that so if we can get calories up to a more stable place add a little bit of flexibility again within reason you know i'm not saying hey go from reading a thousand calories to three thousand you know that's not going to be a good idea um but it is going to be somewhat of a significant push biggest difference will be um you know i probably won't make as many jumps or as large of jumps for a, a lifestyle client versus a physique client because they probably didn't get as low and their body comp doesn't need to change as much again the goal is to have some type of weight maintenance after a weight, uh, after a fat loss phase for the lifestyle client, um, so that we can slowly kind of etch down that new settling point. So when you said that, obviously like in this time, your brain is kind of driving you to eat because it does want to add on body fat. It does feel deprived. Um, your metabolism, metabolism is obviously adapted to a certain extent. So when you say that you implement these untracked meals, do you also provide some like global guidelines around it? Because I know 
when I'm at the end of a diet, I can eat a lot in one sitting. Yep. So if you tell me to have an untracked meal and you don't give me guidelines, I might take the piss. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so certainly like first, like I said, we really want to have worked on this before a diet. Like that's really the ultimate goal is to work with a client beforehand so that when we do transition back, it's much easier. Um, generally speaking, right after a diet, we're still going to have, hey, earlier in the day, these are going to be your targets. And then for this meal, you know, make sure there's high protein, make sure that you moderate your portions, et cetera. Um, you know, and depending on the client, like if I know that the client has like totally gotten it, like good to go beforehand, it won't be as much of a transition. If a client has really struggled before, um, I might just not say, Hey, go have an untracked meal. It might be like, Hey, we're going to have an untracked dinner, but like, let's try to frame it around this, right? Like, let's try to have this, but not that. Um, or if you want to do like split a dessert or some like, right, like give them some type of option, like either have a drink or have dessert and like, make sure your meal is high protein and moderate. Like sometimes it's like that. Um, and for other people, it's like, Hey, maybe like, we don't go out quite yet. If you don't want to do that, or you're not feel comfortable, if you feel like that's going to set you off. Um, but let's just make something at home and not necessarily track it. Right. Like, let's just have this untracked. So again, really going <clears> to <throat> depend on the client, depend on where they were beforehand. Um, but perfect situation is that we were going to have all that laid out before if that isn't the situation and it's not perfect, which is a lot of the cases, um, really working through with that client. Okay. What do you think is like a reasonable meal that we, does this sound reasonable? And then they're like, okay, I, I can do that. And guess what? They might fail, but what is better than not trying? Like, I still think it's better than not trying, right? Because if I don't try then, and we say, nope, don't go have one. And then they do go and have a meal like this. And then that gets out of control. That's not good. Um, that's really, again, what we're trying to avoid because then that mentally sets a lot of clients off and then they, they're going to want to overeat. Yeah. And it's the same situation, like with the reverse versus the recovery diet, because a lot of clients might be kind of attached to remaining a certain amount of leanness. So they might prefer a reverse approach where you add like minimum amounts of calories per week, you know, 50 to 100, whatever. Um, but likely they're not going to be able to adhere to that and they might end up overeating or going overboard and they'll probably create a larger surplus than if they were to just jump back to an estimated maintenance to begin with and not feel as deprived so it can be very kind of appealing to feel okay I'm going to stay as lean as possible and eat as little as possible and just really gradually build but realistically that's not going to be satisfactory for anyone especially when you lose that goal of dieting and you don't have a purpose anymore to stay so lean it's hard to like battle with your head and with those urges to, to eat. Oh yeah. Afterwards is through and through the hardest part. There's, there's no doubt about it. It is absolutely the most challenging part. Um, after a diet, you are just physically and mentally in a very, just kind of strained position, you know, for lack of a better word, like you're just kind of compromised in those areas and, um, going into it, knowing that is really important. Yeah. So always prefacing that with people. And that's the other reason I try to preface people to not just jump into a diet. Like we do, we have to not just think about the diet. It's what are we doing afterwards? And do you have the capabilities to maintain all this after? And if we don't, probably not a good idea. Because you, you sometimes just mourn the loss of the diet because you had such a purpose and such a reason to get up in the morning, to do your cardio, to do your steps, to do your training, blah, blah, blah. And when that's all gone, you're like, what is my purpose? And I, I struggle with that a lot. The last time I competed was like the end of 2019 and I had a really, really long season. And then obviously it just stopped. I came home and I was like, what is, what, who am I? Like, what is my identity? I've been the competitor, the lean one, the tiny one for like 30 weeks. And now I'm not that. And I haven't built this framework as to what I am apart from that. So I had to really build on that and kind of develop other facets to my personality that wasn't relying so heavily on being in a deficit and getting mm -hmm. it. Yeah, it is. It is a huge challenge. And I, I, I echo the sentiment a lot on podcasts, but I think it is so important. Like you have to be prepared. If you are doing a physique competition, you are being judged by strangers on your physique. And if you are not mentally ready for that, buckle the fuck up for afterwards because you are going to be very very distraught because there's only one winner and even if you win even if you win you could win the whole show you could get the overall at the show it does not replace the fact <laughs> that now you're like oh well 
that they judged me well, but what about these next people? And then you're always going to hold yourself to that. And that's if you're looking at this in the wrong way, you know what I mean? So I really think that a lot of people get into this as something that they think is going to be fun and it is fun, but they are not prepared for that backlash afterwards. And just the reality of what bodybuilding is, somebody might not like your physique ever, and you might get last place every time you get up there. You have to go into it knowing that. And that's not a negative mindset. That's not saying that you're not going to win. And, you know, but you have to be realistic about what this is. And I think that is why we see so many people get wrapped up in it, becomes their identity, becomes this thing that they're chasing for this validation. And it will eat you up alive, not only from the psychological perspective, but then also it is so psychologically draining plus physiologically draining because of how lean you are. So it's such a unique sport in that sense that, I mean, not saying that other sports are not lean because most athletes are, are lean, but there's a big difference of bodybuilder lean versus, you know, athletically lean. And it is, it just, I think that is why there's just this very, very uh, challenging time that we see afterwards because of how much these two things come together. Yeah. And definitely like, knowing what you're getting yourself into and realizing that there's a reason people call it a challenge is because it's really hard sometimes and that's why a lot of people find reward in the fact that it's hard and they overcome it and other people don't find it rewarding or satisfying at all and that's why like some people go into it with the wrong ideas and for the wrong reasons do it once hate it and then spend the rest of their time bad mouthing it about how awful it is how unhealthy it is how terrible it is when obviously it just wasn't suited to them so I don't think not everyone should compete, but some people love it and enjoy it and they thrive off it and they love the challenge and they know yes. it's hard and they kind of, you almost have to revel in the difficulty of it and embrace mm-hmm. it. Um, whereas other people, it doesn't suit them and that's fine. But yeah. just realize that you don't need to necessarily bad mouth it because just because it didn't work for you. Nope. Competing didn't do those things to you. It was how you chose to compete or how you viewed competing. Bodybuilding is what it is. Yeah. You either like it or you don't. Um, you're either prepared to put yourself in that vulnerable position or you're not, um, you're either ready to prep and dig that deep to get to very low levels of body fat or you're not, mm-hmm. that's it. <laughs> and if you choose to haphazardly diet back to back to back to back and wreck your metabolism and wreck your hormones, that's on you. Mm-hmm. Nobody yeah. else. That's not, that's not the sport's fault. That's your fault. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people, if they were able to reflect on that, they would, they would, not feel maybe as badly about things and uh yeah it's just unfortunate but again I like to preface that for people like listen this is what this is when somebody comes to me like you know I want to do a show can you get ready in 12 weeks like still hear that I'm like oh no (laughs) um definitely not and are you prepared if you're not prepared to put in a certain amount of time to get on stage you're probably you you don't have any business being on stage yeah yeah you need to be able to put the prep work in before the actual prep begins like it is it's a long-term thing it's not a 12-week process it's it's beyond that much before that and much after that it's a whole lifelong lifetime commitment for as long as you're a part of it it's going to be a part of your life and that's and if you want to treat it like a bucket list goal then we probably need to pick another goal (laughs) and I'm not saying that people can't do a show one and done I love supporting clients who want to do that but they still have to understand what this is you know like (laughs) And there is a big difference of somebody who's like, you know, I just kind of want to casually compete or somebody who's like, I'm on a fucking turn pro yeah. big difference. Mm-hmm. And I'm not against somebody who wants to casually compete, but they still need to be aware of what this is and not be like, yeah. Oh my God. And you know, to be fair, I didn't know this when I got into it. Mm-hmm. Most people didn't. Right. And so you do it long enough again, like kind of like coaching and you're like, Oh shit, <laughs> this is a lot more than theory about how this is going to work or how this feels or how this sounds. So I think that, you know, it just preparing people's expectations is absolutely key. Yeah. And like when I, that. <laughs> yeah, when I started my first prep, I thought, oh, I've done a summer shred before. Same thing. Like I just realized it's not the same thing. Like you, you get to a certain point where you got summer lean and then you have to go far beyond that and way more uncomfortable. So usually you'd stop where it gets kind of uncomfortable, but then you just have to push right through that, ignore all the pain and keep going. <laughs> There is like, it's just, I always like, you know, like Dante's Inferno, like the, you know, the layers of hell. And I'm like, after, like, there's literally a certain point in prep where like, you just hit this, like <laughs> this layer, you know, and you're like, all right, this is where we are the rest of the time. There's no more kind of, oh, I feel good some days. I feel bad some days. No, no, no. Every day is a struggle. 
And that is what is required. And some people less than others, right? Some people who are genetically a lot leaner are going to be able to get there. And like, what's the problem? Prep's great. Yeah. I love, I love <laughs> bodybuilding. You're like, oh, that's cool for you. Um, for people like me, I have to lose a substantial amount of body fat to get on stage. It's not like that. Last yeah. 10 pounds for me are like legit, like, like every day is like, I feel like I'm detached from my body just for like how I feel. And I'm like, this is it. But I know if I don't do that, I'm not getting lean enough. Yeah. Like it, it's just, I don't look lean. I yeah. hold body fat very evenly. So for me to get lean, like I have to get really lean for everything to show otherwise, which is, is a great perk in the off season. Right. Cause I yeah. can just kind of, I maintain well, um, but to get lean, I got to get shredded. Otherwise it's just like, cool. Like you don't really look like anything. So. Yeah. yeah. And also I think it's hard as well, like seeing the top level pros at the Olympia and stuff who literally maintain stage condition nearly year round. And I think a lot of people look at those physiques and they're like, Oh, why can't I be like that? But just realize that they are the top 0.00001%. And most people can't maintain that and maintain a menstrual cycle, be healthy, be mentally and physically well. It's just not possible. They're just that's just the way they were built. That's just their genetics and lucky them. But some people are, you know, everybody is meant for different things in life, right? There are some people who are naturally lean and muscular and they can, they're, that's the reason why they're there. They have the right shape. They have the right genetics. They have the right everything to get them to that place. That's why they are that top 0.5%. That is it. Um, Same way. Some people are super athletic. I can't even do a cartwheel, you know, like people doing backflips and crazy shows. Like, like, you know what I'm saying? Like literally people pick things up like this. Yeah. People are just, you know, can run hundreds of miles. Like just everybody has different things. Other people have really great people skills. Some people have amazing intellect, like everybody's going to have different things. So I try to shift the focus with clients who will look at that and say, oh my gosh, I wish I had that. And it's like, all right. Also the other thing to consider, uh, if you've ever met anybody who's really, really successful in one area, right? Like anything there's probably going to be other areas that are lacking in their life. And that's yeah. not to say that there's anything wrong with them. It just means that that might be their best thing that they have, yeah. but there's this other things that you're probably maybe even better here. And it's not a better or worse competition, but it's about being realistic to say, if my, I can do everything in my power and I might not look like that ever, but can I still have a really great physique for me? And do I have a lot of other strengths in my life that I'm awesome at and I'm excelling at? Yes. Let's focus on those. Yeah. Yeah, like no one is perfect. No one is 100% at everything. And there's always stuff going on behind the scenes that you have no idea about. And that's oh, yeah. what like I've, I used to kind of look at even people in my school or like in my class and I'd be like, why is she so good at this, that and the other? And my mom would remind me like, you don't know what's going on in her head behind closed doors, no mm-hmm. idea. And it takes time to realize that, but you do realize with time that like no one is perfect and everyone has their flaws. And although you might, you, you're probably just focusing on her strength because you think it's a weakness in yourself. Um, so you probably need to self-reflect a little bit on that as well. Yeah. And then focus on your strengths, you know, like there's different things that everybody's going to be really great at. And it's, you know, that's what we should all focus on improving and not to say you can't improve your weaknesses because you certainly should improve those as well. Um, but it's just about, um, a comparison that is, you know, I don't think comparison is bad. I just think that, um, just kind of unbridled comparison that's completely unrealistic is, is what can be a problem. Yeah, definitely. And we're all unique. And there's a reason why we're all on this world, because we're all different. <laughs> we exactly. All different. Yeah, yeah, we'll just end it with something like that. Just love everybody. On final <laughs> holistic and happy note, <laughs> we're all unique individuals. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, pretty much so we did a really well-rounded review of like kind of before, during and after the diet, which I quite I quite like having like a whole yes. view of something, which has been very, yeah. very informative. And I'm sure the listeners will find it very useful. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it so much. I thought this was a great conversation um, and we brought up a lot of really good points and I think it just hopefully will give some people a few things to think on and maybe change their long-term approach. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. So if the listeners want to find you, where can they do so? So our website is teamlocofit.com. We have a podcast called the Loco Fit Show. It's on uh, all podcast platforms. We have um, obviously our team Instagram. My personal Instagram is at Lauren Conlin, L-A-U-R-I-N-C-O-N-L-I-N. And then that's also where my YouTube channel is. And I'm just starting a YouTube resurgence. So I feel like I should say that now because 
I'm being forced to go back. Just kidding. But uh, so, yeah, so there's a lot of content, whether you're a visual learner, an auditory learner, uh, we really just try to put out uh, great information on a weekly basis. So you can find us all there. And then uh, our website has all that information as well as coaching and uh, courses and everything that we offer as well. Yeah, that's great. And as I said, I've been listening to Lauren and watching her content for years now. So I highly rate for her. She's very informed, very educated, very knowledgeable and really, really good at teaching. So I'd highly recommend checking her out if you haven't done so already. But um, thank you guys so much for listening. If you do tune in, I would really appreciate if you take a screenshot, share it to your story, tag myself. I'm at Holly Davidge on Instagram and at Lauren Conlon with an I. Um, we would really, really appreciate it. Uh, but yeah, thank you guys so much for listening and we will catch you in the next episode. Woo. Thank you.